the Links and Locks podcast. podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Hello, you beautiful degenerates, and welcome to Links and Locks, the Action Network's golf betting podcast presented by Bet365. I'm your host, Roberto Arguello, and I'm excited to be joined by Spencer Aguiar this week as we break down the 2023 Worldwide Technology Championship from Cabo San Lucas, the first time ever that the PGA Tour has attended or has visited a Tiger Woods design course happens this week in Cabo at El Cardinal Golf Course in Diamante, at Diamante. It should be a fun course on the opposite side of Mexico. This used to be played in the Playa del Carmen region at El Camaleon, Mayacoba. That course designed by Greg Norman. Greg Norman, not necessarily in the best terms with the PGA Tour for reasons. So the tour has decided to ship this tournament across Mexico over to Tiger Woods' golf course designed in 2014. Spencer will break it down as we see this course for the first time on the PGA Tour. And like our previous podcast recording on the Zozo Championship, we don't have any data on this course going in. So we'll try to emerge victorious like we did there. Spencer, you and I both had Colin Morikawa. Unfortunately, Spencer and I had another side bet. He had Ricky Fowler. I had Keegan Bradley. They were within one shot going into the last round. Keegan Bradley, I think, shot one under in that last round. But Ricky Fowler stumbles across the finish line, six over. So today, Spencer Aguiar is dressed in his version of Colin Morikawa. So welcome, Spencer. You look beautiful. I don't like seeing this much Cal on this podcast, but we both won money on the Cal product. So we're happy either way. Yeah, I mean, I figure wearing the cow with you having the Stanford background, like I have to cause you some pain with it. And I'll give a really quick story on this jersey. So when Morikawa won the tournament, I know our bet wasn't directly for Morikawa. He got up to 13th in the world. I got the number 13 on the jersey that I'm wearing here today. I thought that was a nice little fit for, you know, that seems like something Colin Morikawa might do that he'd rep the number 13 on this. But uh, in between us not doing the show last week, he's now moved up to number 12. So in classic fashion with me and Morikawa, something has not gone exactly correctly with the way that this <laughs> has worked out. But uh, I am repping the Cal stuff. This is more Colin Morikawa than Max Homa or, as you said, Marshawn Lynch with this. So uh, I am begrudgingly <laughs> sitting here in my version of Colin Morikawa today. Well, you look beautiful once again, Spencer. Glad to have you here. And... We don't have a super robust card outside of our outrights, but tell me, what is your best bet for the 2023 Worldwide Technology Championship? I almost didn't give a head-to-head matchup for this tournament. I know that's a weird answer to give before calling this my favorite play of the week, but a matchup bet will always land as my highest exposure wager when I do enter that market. thought books were very stingy on pairings, and they often shaded toward the side of caution, probably because of the lack of data that's available for everybody this week. I'm going to go against the grain here. I don't think this is going to be a very popular pick amongst listeners with what I've seen in the space, but I'm going to take Callum Terran minus 120 over Cameron Champ as my best bet. Oh, I think those are two very interesting players. So look forward to breaking down that cap with you in just a moment. My best bet this week, I've only got one bet outside of my outright card, and this normally wouldn't be 
the volume I place on a best bet. I'm only betting this to win a quarter unit, but I'm doing Matt Kuchar 41st or worse at minus 120 on our sponsor, Bet365's markets. Uh, but before we get into Kuchar, tell me why you're backing the Englishman, Callum Tarrant over Cameron Champ, a guy whom a lot of people like this week. Yeah, before I start with why I like this wager, I, I understand the risk involved with Champ and the run that we've seen with him in Mexico and on Paspalum Greens. That has been pronounced over five career events where he's posted multiple top 10 showings and gained heavily with the flat stick whenever he gets those two pieces linked together. The current form's obviously going to be encouraging. The distance that Champ possesses for a wide open test has its benefits. However, I'm going to talk a lot on this show about how it does feel as if some bettors are overvaluing certain commodities like distance and long iron proximity for a venue that is lacking data at its core. I thought the most significant concern stemmed from Champ ranking 92nd in this event when diving in the strokes gain total at venues with fairways that had 50 plus yards of width. To, mean that, to me, that means he's not always using his distance to the advantage that you might expect when a test opens up. It doesn't mean that I hate his potential or that I believe he's going to miss the cut. I, I thought it was very difficult this week to find much value in general. I don't want to take that strong of a stance for a golfer that is being faded for me solely for the reason that he's being overinflated by the community in some markets here. But uh, there's still a heightened risk over four days in my model that something goes wrong, especially when I put him against a golfer like Karen, who projected as one of my safest floor plays on the board. Taron had the same distance that we would want to see for high-end success. He carried much better corollary translation of that data into these easy-scoring venues that have wide-open nature for everyone off the tee. I wanted to get exposure to Taron in some capacity, mostly because of that resort-style test that we have here where there is going to be wind. That's always been the sweet spot for him statistically inside of my model. And this felt like the ideal situation against a very volatile golfer and champ that does have a ceiling. I understand that, but... I think it can be matched by Taron if both players perform at their best. But then there's also that downside that comes into play with Champ here, where I think this is a much lower floor than some people in the market might realize. Uh, probably a reason why this has already drifted out into the minus 120 range. I think that's even a shock to some people to see that Champ is not the favorite there. But I thought that this had about another 20 points worth of value at that minus 120 number. I think you'll hear a lot of people backing Champ in these upside markets, but He's still not the most consistent golfer. And I think that if you want to attack him in the matchup market is the perfect way to do it. So I like that one. And I'm pretty bullish on Callum Taron. And we'll talk about him a little bit later in the podcast as well. Getting into my pick, I wanted to fade Matt Kuchar this week because of our expected, of how we expect the golf course to play. It's got these wide open fairways, which you mentioned 60 yards in average fairway width, which is super wide. And that does not help Matt Kuchar because Matt Kuchar is one of the shortest players in this field. And when other guys can just reach back and send it out there, it's going to emphasize his lack of distance. Also, he's normally a really strong putter, but he's only gained strokes putting once in his last eight tracked events. So that gives me some caution in if I wanted to back Kuchar, which we're not doing this week. And Kuchar's biggest strength is his around the green play. However, these greens are massive. And there's no rough on the golf course. So, yes, he is also really elite at playing out of the sand. But you can't play out of the ocean and you can't chip from on the green normally. So I think some of his strengths in putting and around the green are neutralized this week. His lack of distance will be emphasized. Uh, Spencer, I saw in your sheet that he's 103rd in driving plus, 
plus proximity in your model. So that does not leave a lot to be inspired by. And yes, he's won this tournament before, but we mentioned that was a completely different golf course. And in his last 11 PGA Tour starts, he's only finished in the top 40, which is what would beat us in this bet, 41st or worse. He's only finished in the top 40 three out of his last 11 starts. So not playing the best golf. He did have a top 20 in his most recent start on the DP World Tour. He also had a T67, I believe, in his second most recent start on the DP World Tour. So he's just not playing as great at golf as he was at the beginning of 2023. And this feels like a golf course that he normally doesn't play at. If you look at some of the other comp courses, specifically the Mexico Open course at Vidanta, wide open course, similar uh, green surfaces, he didn't play in that tournament. And he hasn't played in a lot of these wide open golf courses because of his skill set, naturally. But he is 66th in the FedEx Cup standings. And right now, you want to be in the top 59 because that gets you into those first few signature events or top 60 gets you into the first few signature events. And he's trying to do that. So without those signature events cut off, I don't think he'd be playing in this tournament unless he's only doing it because of sponsorships and he's a former winner. But all of this means that he has he's playing in this, this event, not necessarily because he wants to, but because he has to. And as a result, in addition to his statistical profile, I think I want to fade Matt Kuchar this week with 41st or worse, just betting it to win uh, 0.25 units, though. I'm conflicted with Kuchar this week, Roberto. I think that when you look at that driving and proximity data that you just talked about, obviously that's a concern. There's also a secondary concern that comes into play. When you look at his recent metrics, he is bright red in my model. When you look at the last 24 rounds in any strokes gain category that you can find, do think that this is a good surface for him uh, with these Taspalum greens here. I did see an increase in my model when you had these easy scoring tests and these wide open natures that you're going to get here. I don't really know what to expect. I think it's, I mean, this isn't, this is obviously a very broad sense of the answer I'm giving here. I think it's going to go one of two ways. I think he's either going to perform better than expected, or it's going to be one of these unmitigated disasters that we've seen from him recently where the ball striking is just not there. I don't know if I'm as aggressively taking him on as you are, but um, I do think he's one of those golfers that when you look at my model from a statistical perspective, a lot of it did go south. I'd also say that if you can find him in a to miss the cut market around plus 175 or better, I would look into that as well. I haven't been able to find him in that market yet. He's just not available on the handful of books that I've looked at there. But I think that's another interesting way to do it if you don't want to lay the juice at minus 120 or if you just don't have access to bet 365. Yeah. But Spencer, we mentioned that this is a new golf course on the PGA Tour, El Cardinal, uh, as you are dressed in Cal gear, breaking down El Cardinal, designed by Tiger Woods. What do you make of the golf course and what have you emphasized in your model this week? I think there's a really fine line between how to address these tournaments with little to no statistical information. It's always nice to come on a show and talk about all the reasons the data is pushing us in one direction or another, but we are playing such a guessing game with some of these answers that it can quickly turn south if we take the wrong approach. I tend to believe, and this is kind of where my Cameron Champ answer is coming from, that the public has done that to an extent with their overvaluing of distance and long iron proximity when we're talking about this week's venue. Like, trust me, I valued both of those things myself. I'm going to talk about those answers frequently. There's reasons why I played some of those players, but I don't think that that can be the only substance that's pushing you in that direction. Like, there has to be a more fundamental 
significance to your projections than just saying, okay, well, this guy hits it far on a wide open test and this guy is good with his long iron play. There's elevation change here. I think you're going to have this turf that you're going to get a bunch of rollout. It's going to be hot and windy. You know, there's an ability for some of these shorter guys that, that can still find success here. So I don't want to look at this in the sense that if you hit the ball far, you're good. And if you hit the ball short, that you're out of this. I took a different route. I examined how golfers have performed when given fairways that are 50 plus yards in width during past examples. I'd say that is a much more impactful answer than pure length because there are considerable elevation changes that I just talked about here. And really that stance goes for all explanations that we'll talk about today. I'd rather see how someone has performed on wide open tests, easy scoring conditions, fast fairways, slow greens, windy conditions. All those answers then some straightforward penciling in of something that may matter less than all of us think. Like, obviously, we can still get the solutions wrong that I just discussed, but images that you look at for this venue or videos that you see will show the wide open nature of the property. There really isn't much danger as long as you aren't hitting it into a different area code. I can see the wind in the forecast. That's something that's easily projected. Vegas has an over under of 23 and a half under par as the winning score. These are all things that carry real significance and aren't just some, you know, random guess that's being made for a venue with really no blueprint for us to follow. So I know that doesn't give a super in-depth outlook. I just think it's better to mimic historical trends on tracks that are built similarly to this than creating some, you know, analytical return for no data that we can pull for the week. I, I think there's too many dangers there. So I built this card in a fashion that has a very low risk. I don't have very many wagers. I still think it has a high ceiling that comes into play. Roberto, you and I talked about this at the Zozo Championship. Neither one of us put much much exposure into that tournament. Ended up being my fourth highest win of the season because of the more call output. Obviously, I'm going to try to replicate that. But I think at the end of the day, for me, this is probably going to be an event where it's either a very small loss or if I can get some of these outright markets correct. Or if I can find an edge in the in-tournament market and this continually keeps moving in that direction, maybe I can find an edge there. But I think it's a very small exposure week at the end of the day. I agree. I have also shortened my target to win six units instead of a normal eight units this week, just like we did at the Zozo. And unlike at the Zozo, where we had a very top-heavy field and only 79 players in the field where there was one wave, this week, there's a much bigger field of around 130 players in the field, so there will be two waves. So that's something else you're going to have to factor in with these breezes right there on the ocean, on the Pacific. So be sure to factor that in and check the weather as you play your first-round leader bets and any other matchups, specifically if they're 18-hole matchups. Um, Spencer also wanted to add that he said there's no rough. There's native areas, sand, ocean, if you miss the fairway. It is a resort course. so similar to a lot of these other courses that we play on the PGA Tour in Latin America where you're right on the coast and you're exposed. There are four par fives this week, so par five scoring was something that I looked into. Uh, I don't believe we've had four par fives on any of the other fall swing events so far this year. So that is, or maybe maybe just one, maybe at the Shriners. Um, and then big greens, of course. So also put it a little bit more emphasis than I normally do on putting as well. Uh, the past Palum greens just have such a small sample size that I didn't want to overweigh that just because not a number, not everybody's played on those greens multiple times. So, uh, or within a long enough time period that makes me comfortable and using that very much. But yeah, those are my initial thoughts on the course. So without further ado, Spencer, 
let's get into your outright card for the Worldwide Technology Championship here in Cabo San Lucas. I like these fall tournaments for the most part. Like, there's a nice edge to be found when you remove some of the built-in win equity of names like Scotty Scheffler, John Rom, Roy McIlroy. I know that's something we talk about a lot on the show. I don't know if the edge transfers cleanly into a week like this, since we don't have long-term data to pull from when it comes to the course. But I still thought it was an interesting board to take some shots with. I started this with Bo Hostler at 30 to one. It takes a more recent outlook with Hostler's profile to skyrocket him as far up my model as he got this week. Uh, for anybody out there that does not have access to my model or didn't see the images that I post on Twitter, he got to number one overall for me. That is a wild take for Hostler that I don't know has ever occurred in, in any tournament I've ever run. You obviously are going to have some of those proximity issues for him. I think this is a very similar spot that I saw with Sahith Gala at the Fortnite Championship before he won. My math projected him 48 spots better with his recent weighted proximity over his long-term baseline. And then really the upside marks continued from there when I dove into his tournament leading 19 consecutive rounds of shooting par or better and his four straight top 30 finishes over the opening four fall events. When you add that to his top five grades for strokes gain total at accessible venues, it's going to be these wide open, easy scoring tests. The expected par four scoring, which he was number one at for par four scoring between 400 to 450 yards and 450 to 500 yards. And then the recent strokes gain total that he's provided you get a golfer that might be ready to finally pick up his first PGA Tour title. You know, the nice thing about these cards, Roberto, and, it, and it's, I think, what all of us do on this show all the time. Like, if you gave me one bet to make for the outright market, I would probably bet this one. But we don't have to do that because we are able to build cards. And you talked about it yourself. You lowered your win rate here. I'm still betting to win seven units myself. But even if you bet all four names that I put into play here, it's still less than 0.75 units. So. We're able to mix and match these, kind of take our, our shots in some of these spots where I think that there's an edge. Uh, I moved into Davis Thompson at 50 to 1. I think every golfer on this card that I'm going to talk about this week or for this tournament has provided some semblance of recent success to begin the offseason. You're obviously going to have the high-end marks of a hostler who has bettered every finish over the four events, all the way to a Davis Thompson here, a golfer that has yet to pop inside the top 10 but has steadily produced three top 35 finishes during a stretch that has seen him gain a minimum of 3.8 shots off the tee and approach in each start. The ability to make enough putts to win a 25 under par contest is probably going to be the ask that he's going to need to answer if he wants to enter the winner's circle. But it's not as if we haven't seen that before with him at a birdie fest uh, in past tournaments. You look at the American Express earlier this year, he got the 26 under par, just lost to John Rahm in that tournament. There's an intrigue of this 26 spot improvement for putting that he delivers inside of my model over the last 24 rounds. All that adds to the optimism. And you talked about this a second ago. I do think par five scoring is going to matter here. He's number one in my model for par five birdie or better percentage. Um, you know, there's some golfers, maybe with Cameron Champ here. And I know I keep going back to him and I don't want to keep picking on one player here because there's a lot of players that fit into this mold. Just the one player that I keep talking about where I don't know if the distance plays as cleanly as you would expect it to. Thompson is an example here where I think his distance actually plays really well on corollary comp courses that are similar to this in the past. Uh, so I took him at 50 to 1. I bet Nick Hardy at 80 to 1. It's extremely boom or bust outlook with Hardy. Uh, the upside returns were highly intriguing for me for a golfer that should have been priced closer to 45 to 1 in my sheet. Hardy's combination of recent putting, his ability to gain strokes at wide open tracks, his distance totals, another player that got a up boost from me in distance, 
And then the increase for projected proximity to mimic this venue, at least according to my model, should outweigh the height and missed cut equity that he does possess. Uh, that's not something that we're going to need to worry about here in this market. I actually think at the end of the day, too, there may be a little bit more safety than we see on the surface level because of the eight made cuts that he's provided in nine starts. I think he's intriguing here maybe as a buy low candidate in DFS. If you can get him in the right price, maybe for a top 30 or a head to head out there. I haven't found that market yet that necessarily was conducive, but something to keep in mind if markets are going to treat him as this boomer bust option. And then. I wrapped up my card with a golfer who has been no stranger to this show, Roberto. I almost am embarrassed to keep going back and doing this every single week. Uh, I'm going to switch up the order. He's last this time. I usually lead him up. I think in baseball, when you switch up the order, sometimes you can get the most out of your players. It's like a little uh, shock to the system here. But I bet Steven Yeager at 28 to 1 when he opened up. And we're in the middle of football season. I'm going to give a football analogy to decipher what I think is going on here. But... Uh, as everybody knows that follows football, there are always teams. This is every single year, by the way. When you look at the sharp versus square report that are released by all the different sites out there, they will, there will be certain teams throughout the year that will get 100% of whatever this quote-unquote sharp money is that enters the space. And they somehow don't cover any week throughout the entire year when the public fades the onslaught of credible dollars over and over again. I feel like we've kind of gotten here with Steven Yeager with that answer. <laughs> I genuinely believe I've recommended him as an outright bet maybe every tournament of 2023. I've been continuously disappointed with one top 10 finish in 25 starts. However, I know all those are the negatives there. There is something to be said about the math my model always finds for why it likes Jaeger as a talent. And then the lower than expected prices that some scratch their heads over every week that sportsbooks continue to release. I think when you look at a golfer that hasn't produced very many top 10s, and all of a sudden you keep getting him at sub 30 to one, it, it feels like a situation where he is mispriced. I don't think that that is necessarily correct. I, I know that I'm not saying that my model is right here. I'm not saying that sports books are right with the way that they are pricing him, but I am going to continue trusting my math and my model on what is telling me that Steven Yeager is an elite talent in the world. I, I legitimately believe he's a top 30 player that has yet to put together four rounds of golf. He has 15 straight made cuts, a first place grade for weighted scoring. Those are too strong of totals for me to ignore. Like maybe at the end of the day, this is a blind spot that I just can't seem to overcome, but I'm going to keep betting that Jaeger is good at golf. I don't know when he will win, but my money's going to be that it happens sooner than later. As long as we get fields like this and prices that I still believe are a little bit too high, like my math believes he's more of a 20 to one golfer, which is kind of an outlandish comment to give, but we haven't gotten that many situations, Roberto, of tournaments like this to where they're weaker fields. He's one of the favorites and he's in this 20 to 30 to one range. Like I could maybe think of like three examples, four examples of that. A lot of the times I bet him he's more in that like 50, 60, 70 to one range. I'm going to say that at some point he puts this together, maybe during the fall swing, a guy like him, a guy like Hosser. These are really good momentum switchers for careers if they can get the win here could completely change their lives with the win this week. And that's why I have money on Bo Hostler, surprisingly. I don't think I've ever placed an outright on him yeah. Um, yeah. on this podcast, but I'm doing it this week. I got him at 28 to 1, so not quite your 30, but really love his distance and accuracy off the tee. The putting's always great, um, as Spencer and I can attest to when Bo Hostler knocked in, I believe, a 15-footer on the 18th hole of the first round at the 
Shriners Children's Open to ruin our JT Poston first round leader tickets. Um, 15 footer left to right down the hill. Not an easy putt. Probably an expected make percentage around 15, 20%. And he knocked it right in our eye hole. But I'm going back to Bill Hostler. I think his iron play is really improving. You mentioned how over the last 24 rounds, it's pointing in the right direction. He has all the talent in the world to win in a field like this. I think he can do it going away also, which is why I bet him because when he gets in contention, it gets weird. So if he has a lead on Sunday afternoon, I won't be opposed to firing a bet on one of the chasers who I think could chase him down because he's shown that he can crumble in these events. But I hope he gets it done, and I think this is a great spot for him. I also bet Keith Mitchell. Spencer, we had a rough experience with Keith, yeah. Keith Mitchell at the Scottish Open, where I think he was first through two rounds in combined in strokes gained ball striking, so off the tee and approach combined. And he had his worst putting week, I think maybe of his PGA Tour career, definitely of this season, and he missed the cut. So I'm going back to Keith Mitchell. He has the total driving that can put him into not quite Ludwig Aber territory, but better than just about anybody else in this field off the tee. I think he's going to give himself opportunities, and he's a really strong putter. Can he get that approach game right? I'm going to pay and find out at 40-1. to 1. I like Taylor Pendrith as well. I built my card with a bunch of bombers who can get hot with on approach with their irons. I'm not necessarily leaning into long iron narrative as much this week, just because with some of the elevation changes and some wind... I think these guys might be hitting more wedges in than we think uh, on a lot of these longer-looking par, par fours. So I like Taylor Pendrith, 50-1. to 1. I think his upside and just general talent is something that I'm willing to buy on and not necessarily weigh a bunch of the recent approach and proximity numbers as much. Just it's a bet on his talent in this field. I also bet Callum Tarrant at 60-1. to 1. I love the combination of length off the tee, approach play, and ability to get hot with the putter at 60-1. to 1. I think he's also somebody whom I'll consider in the first-round leader market at around the same number. And then finally, Davis Thompson. I was on the fence, and you talked me into him. I love the comp with the Amex, another course with big fairways, uh, kind of tricky greens. That's a Pete Dye course, and so a lot of visual intimidation. I'm very interested, to see, interested in seeing this Tiger Woods design because we've never seen a Tiger Woods design. So we're going to learn a lot this week, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing that. Davis Thompson, just another guy who, at this 45 to 1 number, has a ton of talent, former number one amateur in the world. And we saw him go toe to toe with John Rahm, being a flag stick away from getting into a playoff with John Rahm and not backing down in that final 18 holes at the Amex. Another desert course where I think is comparable to El Cardinal. So give me Davis Thompson, the Georgia Bulldog, at 45 to 1. All in all, I've got just over 0.7 units to win six units this week. Spencer, any thoughts on any of those players? Yeah, I think we have a lot of corollaries here when we, we talk about the names that you just mentioned. Like the last two cuts that did not make my outright card would be Taryn and Pendrith. I think Pendrith has that very similar profile to Davis Thompson where you're going to get that distance added to the mix if he can put together some of the other pieces here. He has a lot of upside. I didn't get to Taron in the outright market. Obviously, I talked about ways I wanted to get to him uh, in the head-to-head bet that I took. And then just to throw out, well, actually, before I do that, because, I mean, I've done this too many times, I, I-, I want to talk about Keith Mitchell because you-, you brought him up. My mm-hmm. model also, and I-, and I think that this is a very intriguing way to play Mitchell, 
shoot for the upside with him, realize that there is a floor that is going to be the bottom of the Pacific Ocean here. Like it, it's <laughs> it's bad when he is bad. And it's one of those things to where you talked about it at the Scottish. He gained, I will give you the exact number, he gained 6.74 shots ball striking, put him third in the field behind Wyndham Clark and Rory McIlroy, which was 0.17 shots off of the number one total there. He ended up losing 6.83 shots with his putter and around the green game to miss the cut. So uh, we know what Keith Mitchell is. He's a pristine ball striker who is great off the tee. That is usually the number one driver in my model. In any tournament you put him in, even when you throw him in with some of the big hitters in the game, it's going to be all those other pieces and if they can come together. So I-, I think Mitchell is an intriguing bet if you are shooting for upside in any of these markets, talking about top 10 wagers or outrights here. And then outside of Pendrith and Taryn being the two names that missed, the other name that I highly considered, which obviously would produce an extremely different card than what I built. I think there's only, you know, I went with the Steven Yeager route. I don't know if like you can keep throwing in all the same names that have been bet over and over again, but I did believe that this was a good setup for Cameron Young. I didn't want to necessarily pay pay the price that it would cost for me to have to bet him in that 12 to 14 to one range. But uh, this is kind of that prototypical venue to where he does get upside marks in my model on these wide open tests. He's a great proximity player. He's going to have to make putts to find success, but his birdie making skills are second to none when he puts it together. So, uh, you know, maybe this is the venue where not everybody's there. It's in a different country and he goes out and he wins it when nobody's on him. So, uh, as I said, I didn't get him to him on that market. I talked to Nick about it, who couldn't make the show today. I think that is Nick's only outright wager that he had. And, uh, hmm. Just to throw it out there as a third opinion on this show with it. But I, I do think Cameron Young is intriguing. But then again, that is coming from somebody, Roberto, who thinks Cameron Young is intriguing in every single tournament with any single field of any group of players. So uh, that might be a little bit of a watered down opinion there. Yeah, Cameron Young was your Stephen Yeager before Stephen Yeager was <laughs> your was. Stephen Yeager. Yes. Uh, we'll get back to that in a moment, but first, Links and Locks is presented by Bet365. Bet365 doesn't do ordinary. They believe that every sport should be epic. Every touchdown, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar, see for yourself when you sign up today with code ACTION, that's A-C-T-I-O-N, and you'll get $365 in bonus bets when you bet just $1. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. Must be 21 or older only. Must be present in Colorado, Kentucky, Iowa, New Jersey, Ohio, or Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, Kentucky, New Jersey, Ohio, and Virginia, or 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Terms and conditions apply. Spencer, I wanted to get back to Cameron Young. What number would you have needed to fire a single dart on him this week or incorporate him into your card? When the market originally opened, I thought it was going to be the prices that we could get when he was kind of sitting in that 14 to one range. Uh, the more I ran data, the more I ended up liking names like Bo Hostler and Steven Yeager compared to the price that they were. So it kind of pushed me back on taking on Cameron Young. I think at 14 to one, I do know there is a 13 and a half to one out there. If you really shop around, I think that's kind of, still a little bit of value there. Uh, in an ideal world, though, if I was going to punch the ticket and kind of rechange my card, I, I would have liked 16 or 18 to one. Like that's that to me is giving me about four points of value in that spot. 
Gotcha. I I would have considered 15-ish to 1 as a price that I would have punched a ticket on. So I think we're in lockstep there. How about Ludwig Ebert? Or Aubert? My apologies. He is the tournament favorite 9-1 to this week. What are your thoughts on him? And if you have a number that you would have needed to punch a ticket on him, what would that have been? I know I just gave this answer with Cameron Young, but it's kind of the sentiment that I usually share with a lot of these young players that are extremely talented that have not won. I think you can oftentimes play the chasing game with them when you keep making these Mm -hmm. bets at anywhere between, let's just call it like eight to 14 to one when you make the bets. And at some point it has reached. And and by the way, I I did that with Xander Shoffley to the point where if you go and you look at every single golfer that I have bet on in the history of me placing golf bets, it's Rom and Shoffley that continue to bite me over and over again because I kept betting them at these, you know, eight to 15 to one numbers and they just didn't get across the finish line as frequently as I needed. And obviously when Rom started to do so, he did it at numbers that were like four, five, and six to one at a certain point with it. So they weren't really conducive to be bet. Uh, I'm kind of in the spot where I think Aubert can win this tournament. That's like an understatement of the century here that I'm giving, but I'd (laughs) rather just make him beat me at these numbers. I think in, I I think it's a very similar answer to Cameron Young to where in that 12 to 14 to one range would be where I I would have it to be fair. If you could give me 14, 15, 16 to one, I might close my eyes and take a shot here because I do think this is a nice course setup for him. But uh, I just don't think we've reached the point right now with the way books are pricing him where that's going to be a conducive answer. Like, let's see where this is at when the new season starts. If he doesn't have a win, if he can get into some of these elevated events and maybe now he can get into that 30 to one range, which might be a pipe dream. I don't know if that's going to be the case. He might just be a sub 22 to one golfer moving forward. Spencer, any other bets you have on your card this week? No, um, I mean, we could rapid fire off some players that I was intrigued with. I'd love to get your thoughts on them. And uh, this is kind of going back down the same road of players that I am higher on than consensus every single week to begin with. I I thought Thomas Dietrich was intriguing. Um, I wish that number would have been a little bit higher than we were getting at that 30 to one range. I think right now the best you can find in the market you shop around has moved and drifted more into that 40 to one range. If you really find the right price, I think that's an intriguing number. If you have a clean card still that you want to jump into, this feels like a nice resort style course for him where he can use some of his skills on, on the setup of the holes that I had. Uh, I would like to get your thoughts on him. And then I think we just at least need to mention his name because along with Cameron champ, he is on everybody's card this week. He might not be on your and my card, but he's on everybody else's Akshay Batia. Yeah, so I think these are two very intriguing players and players whom I'll definitely consider in my first-round leader market. I think Dietrich specifically is intriguing. It makes sense why he's priced a little bit shorter than Batia is because of that driver-putter combination, which Batia lacks the putter. And Dietrich, not only is he strong with the putter, but he's in great form with the putter. He's gained strokes putting in five of his last six track tournaments and done it pretty positively in all in all five of those in which he's gained really strong off the tee. The approach play gives me pause. I don't see as high of an upside on approach as I do with some other players in this range. And so that's why I chose to go in other directions. Mattia was the first golfer who missed my outright card, but just because of the putter, I thought that there were players like a Keith Mitchell who have better putters and Calum Taron, whom at a at 60 to one versus Mattia in the 35, 40 to one, 
I thought it made sense to add Taryn instead of Batia. But Batia is someone whom I'll consider in the first round leader market as well. He can get hot with the putter. Unfortunately, we don't know exactly how many strokes gained putting he had when he won um, over in um, Lake Tahoe earlier this summer. So wish we had a little bit of a breakdown of how he won that tournament over another Cardinal in the playoff, Patrick Rogers. I like Patia a lot. I think he's got upside. We know he's one of the younger players on the PGA Tour right now. So we're still figuring out exactly how much upside he has. And I think he's someone I'll very strongly consider in the first round leader market. He's We've heard of him for longer than we've heard of Ludwig Aubert, but he's younger than Aubert. He's still 21 years old. So the putter kept me off of the outright card, but the approach play also gave me a little bit of cause for concern. He's been all over the place. He'll gain strokes in any facet of his game, but he can also lose them in a hurry. Uh, but the putting, if you look at his data golf profile, very, very red. On approach, he's lost strokes in each of his last four track tournaments. So I've been betting in him over this span. I think I'm laying off this week, at least in the outright market. But we'll see what happens in the day-to-day. If we can find a matchup, maybe honestly fading him because of that volatility, I think that could be intriguing as well. Yeah, I couldn't figure out how I exactly wanted to get exposure or a lack of exposure if I was going to take him on. I think you kind of summarized the thoughts that I would have also. Uh, my model did like him from an upside answer. Like anybody who got him in that 40 to 1 range when some of those numbers open, I think that's a fine outright bet where you're taking a guy who clearly likes these resort style courses on these past follow sort of greens here. Nice setup for him. Batia also has dominated at these coastal yeah. events, looking at some of his uh, stronger finishes this year on tour, the Mexico Open, he was fourth. We mentioned earlier how this the course of Vidanta, similar to this one, huge fairways, coastal, and he did really well that week. That was also his best putting week of the season, So, and also his second best week on approach. And then looking otherwise, the only other tournament he's finished better than fourth, a T2, or sorry, a solo second at the Puerto Rico Open, no data available there, unfortunately. Last year, his best finishes on the Corn Ferry Tour, or actually this was this year, this was in January, before he got special temporary status on the PGA Tour. At the Bahamas Great Abaco Classic, T7. At the Bahamas Great Eczema Classic, T4. So clearly, something clicks for him on these coastal courses. Still relatively small sample size, but every single one of them, it feels like he's done well. So I'm intrigued to see how he plays this week. And going forward because he's still a guy we don't have a ton of data on. Yeah, I mean, we're obviously dealing with a limited sample size here, so I want to throw that out before this becomes, you know, an outlandish comment here. But he's the number one player in my model when you take similar courses and you try to project it into what this venue could be. So as I said, from an outright answer, I think all of that makes logical sense here. I do think there's a little bit more volatility than may meet Mm -hmm. the eye for the reasons that you talked about during your breakdown of it. But um, like if I'm directly comparing in this spot and, and maybe, you know, obviously this blows up in my face potentially, but I think he is good chalk. If you want to talk about outright bets that have been made by the public over and over again, where I would say a player like Cameron champ would probably be bad chalk for me just because I can see the upside that everybody is looking at. But I think there's even more volatility that over the course of four days. I don't know. It feels like something's going to go wrong, even if that means he's in the lead heading into Sunday and all of a sudden he blows himself off the course. And you talked about it. There's no rough and there's 50 plus 
on average yard with fairways here. But, you know, if you do miss, you are in major, major, major trouble. And Cameron Champ does have the propensity that when he misses, he can miss badly. So it's just something to keep in mind. Any other golfers you were intrigued by who almost made your card? No, that's probably it for me. As I said, it's going to be a very limited output. Like, I'm happy you brought up Keith Mitchell. I think he's a boomer bust candidate that should be considered as an outright bet. Um, I know that there's some intrigue in the space on Chris Goderup. Um, I don't know. My model has him top 25. Don't necessarily have a strong take beyond that. I think he's kind of priced as such in the market. Happy you talked about Taylor Pendrith. I think he's a player that is gaining more steam than I thought he was going to in various markets. I thought he was going to go completely under the radar, but I, I think there's good reason behind that. And then, um, I mean, the only other player for me that I guess saw a massive boost when we're talking about his difference between safety and upside would be Doug Gim here. Uh, Gim jumped inside the top 15 for me in a lot of iterations of how I ran my model. Couldn't figure out how I wanted to get exposure to him in any way. I thought the price was fair enough that I didn't want to back him in any way with it. But uh, no, it's going to be a very light card at the end of the day. want to get your thoughts on these two guys, and then we can get out of here. Uh, Emiliano Grillo and JJ Spawn are both 30-1 to 1 in the outright market. I know that you've been backing Spawn recently in the fall, and... Grillo, even though he is a shorter knocker among these golfers at the in the fifty to one or shorter space in the outright market, he has had some some success at some of these coastal courses. And we talked about the Mexico Open at at Vidanta. He finished T five there, and that was despite losing strokes off the tee on a course where we thought that off the tee was the most important aspect of a golfer's game that week. And he's also putted very well on these Paspalum greens. And Griot, one of the few Latin Americans in this field who is in the 50 to one or shorter range, who has played on this type of surface or putted on this type of surface much more often than you would think a lot of his peers have. I think for Spawn, you know, I mean, obviously there can only be so many names that just missed your card. Uh, Spawn kind of seems to be that player every single week for me to where he doesn't have enough win equity to where he doesn't end up making my card. I, I considered him at the Zozo, didn't quite get there, but he was a top 10 win equity player at the very bottom end of that total. Ended up going the aggressive route with Morikawa and Fowler instead, which ended up paying off in that fashion with it. I, I think Spawn, if we're directly comparing him, I, I think he's very similar to a Thomas Dietrich. I think there's top 10 win equity on both of those players. Sam, a little bit lower than consensus on Griot. He's outside the top 15 for me in my model. If directly comparing, I would rather play the Hostlers, the Dietrichs, the Spawns, the Akshay answers than Griot there. I will add Jaeger into that mix because obviously I have the bet on Jaeger. Uh, so he missed all of those names. But when you're looking at that 28 to you know 35 to 1 section, like he probably falls beneath everybody that for me that's not named Luke List and Justin Sub probably like I would rather have every other name over Grio even if I do think I mean he's fine in the grand scheme of things it's just you only can bet so many players at the end of the day I'm I'm glad you brought up Luke List so prior to the Travelers Championship in June he had played roughly 20 events on the PGA Tour gain strokes putting in just 3 of them since the, la- since the Travelers Championship, 
This is a span of six starts on the PGA Tour. He's gained strokes four times. So what has happened to Luke Lift? <laughs> he used to be by far the worst putter on the PGA Tour. And I was shocked when I looked into the numbers after his win at the Sanderson Farm Championship where he knocked in the 40-foot putt. He gained over a stroke per round putting, which was the only time he's done that so far this season on the PGA Tour. And he lost strokes on approach, which is not at all what you would expect from Luke List if he's going to win because he is a striper. He is one of the better approach players and off the tee players on the PGA Tour. And the fact that he lost strokes on approach and he can win a golf tournament like that unlocks another level of Luke List. I'm very intrigued. I'm not willing to buy on him on a course where you said the winning total is set at 23 and a half under par. I'm not buying that he can get that low. But from what we've seen in the last six starts, maybe there's a little bit more of a chance than I price in. I'm not counting on Lightning to, to strike twice. If he hadn't have won at Sanderson Farms, maybe I'd be more likely to bet him this week. But Luke Lewis is somebody I've got my eye on going into next season because he has the type of game where in 2024, if he is an improved putter, he could be in Keegan Bradley or in Keegan Bradley type of range where he's not as elite of a ball striker as Bradley. But he's good enough that if he putts well and stripes the ball at his level of play, he can win a golf tournament against some of the big boys. And we've already seen that when he outdueled Will Zalatoris at Torrey Pines a couple of years ago. I think it's players like him that when you do see that change in their game, that all of a sudden they have a bigger upside. Like Luke List can play at big boy golf courses. He has that mm-hmm. sort of a game. I agree. I don't think the iron play is necessarily as great. Uh, the long distance iron play is going to be better than some of the shorter proximity ranges. Obviously one of the longest players on tour, but uh, we have seen it historically with a lot of these names that when they do add something different and if List can be, I don't know, a neutral putter compared to the field, all of a sudden his upside is exponentially higher than it used to be. So I don't know if I love him here for the reasons that you said he is just inside the top 50 for me and expected birdie or better percentage at a venue that probably is going to have about a 25 under par total to win. I think it's reasonable to expect him to get somewhere around that 11 or 12 under par range. I don't expect a bad showing from him necessarily, but we're talking about win equity. I would actually rather him at a difficult test uh, than one of these venues where you need to make birdies in bunches. Spencer, one final question, then I'll let you get out of here. What would you rather take more under par than 23 and a half under or less under par than 23 and a half under if you had to bet it? It's hard for me to imagine, and this is obvious, obviously us playing the guessing game here of not knowing, but it's so hard for me to believe that Tiger Woods' name can be attached to a course where we're going to get some 27 under par winner. Now, Vegas has put it in that 23 and a half under par range, which gives me major trepidation that this is going to be something that is going to be, we get into that, into that number there. But I'm going to say that the winning total is... I don't know if I'm answering this the correct way from what you asked it would be worse than that. Like I say, it'll be somewhere in that like 17 to 23 under number versus going higher than that total. Um, I still think there's wind at the end of the day. It worries me a little bit that there doesn't seem to be much room or much, much place, too many places that you can miss. So obviously there's a bit of a concern with that answer that if somebody gets hot over four days and makes putts that anything can happen, but they are still large greens. You know, they're going to be a slow, sticky surface from my understanding. I mean, that's usually past fallen surfaces is you get that sticky texture from it. 
Um, I don't know. I'll, I'll say the winning score ends up being 22 under par. I was going to say 21 under. So I agree with you. I would take um, a worse score than 23 and a half under par as well. Um, the Mexico Open of Vidanta, only one player got lower than 23 and a half under par. That was Tony Finau. He won by three at 24 under. Exactly. There's no Tony Finau in this field this week, nor John Rump who was the only other player to get lower than 19 under par in that tournament. He gets 21 under. So I would take few, uh, more than the number of strokes required to get to 23 and a half under par. Uh, Spencer, where can the people find you and your work this week? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at T off sports. I will have an action network article that releases on Wednesday. If you like any of the data that you've heard, you can find my model over at Rotoballer and, you know, Roberto, First of all, if I don't know what day everybody's listening to this, happy Halloween. Obviously, I had to pay the the effects of losing the bet here. I am not happy to be sitting here as Colin Morikawa. So do know deep down that whether or not you think this is a Marshawn Lynch look or whatever else that it is at the end of the day, I still don't feel great about this. I wish that this was one of those, like, for anybody who watches the WWE or the WWF at the time where Vince McMahon unveils his hood and it's like, it's me all the long Austin with it. I wish I could flip around on the back of my jersey, said Lynch or Homer or somebody that wasn't Colin Morikawa. But unfortunately, this was me paying off my bet to you or my debt to you here with the Colin Morikawa thing. So uh, I don't feel great about it. Well, you're a man of your word, and I appreciate it. You still look beautiful. and. I should have made you dress up as uh, Roy Sabatini. <laughs> but yeah. that was a miss on my part. Um, you can find our partner, Nick Bratwish, at Sticks Picks on Twitter. He's been sending out NFL winners. And every now and then, that wild little hammer kid appears. And that kid just always got cash in his back pocket. So shout out to Nick. We'll have him on the podcast sooner than later. I want to give a big thanks to everybody who makes this podcast possible, especially our producers, Noah Niederhofer and Matt Mitchell. And I want to give a big thanks to all of our listeners, watchers on YouTube as well. Uh, subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe again, send a like, grab your friend's phone, subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe again, uh, tell a friend, tell an enemy. Help us out any way you can. We always appreciate it. And it really does make a difference for us. So thanks for all of your support. And thanks for tuning into our Worldwide Technology Championship preview for the first time that the PGA Tour heads to a Tiger Woods design golf course at El Cardinal. Here's hoping we hit the green down there in Cabo San Lucas. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.